Welcome to the Voice of Leadership Radio Network. I'm Linda Lombardo. Every fifth breath that we take comes from the Amazon, and yet every year we lose 243,610 square kilometers, or 94,058 square miles, roughly an area the size of the United Kingdom itself. Earth is struggling to support us, and that's just not an option, says my guest, Claire Dakin, Executive Director of Tree Sisters, a global campaign to reforest tropics in the next 10 years. Tree Sisters is about women getting real and supporting each other and doing all we can to protect Mother Earth. It is also a spotlight on the value of women, the importance of feminine energy and leadership. Claire is a Be the Change Symposium facilitator and freelance writer who worked for three years as the United Kingdom's coordinator for a massive agroforestry initiative in southern India called Project Green Hands before initiating Tree Sisters. She is committed to the creation of an evolving system that learns as it goes and continually models itself upon the flows and forms of living systems. So welcome Claire Dakin to the Voice of Leadership Radio. Hello, Linda. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this. Well, I'm delighted to have you here and really committed to both ideas within Tree Sisters, the reforestation and women as a change agent for the future. So it's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. And I'm curious, a Be the Change Symposium facilitator, what is that? That was very causative. The Pachamama Alliance do this training. They're U.S.-based. They do this training called the um, Awaken the Dreamer, Changing the Dream Facilitator. They initiated out of a dream culture in the Amazon rainforest called the Atua. And the Atua basically decode their dreams, how they live. They decode their dreams every morning and they figure out what their community is going to do during the day. And they've been aware for a long time that with the oil exploration that's heading their way, that their world was changing and was going to be out of their hands unless they, what they call, changed the dream of the modern world. So they sent out some sort of a psychic impulse, and a woman called Lynn Twist, who's an incredible woman who wrote The Soul of Money, picked it up and decided that she had to go to the rainforest to find these people, and she went with a group of other people, and they found each other. They worked for a long time to change the dream of the modern world, and so one of the things that they did was create the symposium, which is a journey that you can go on. Uh, It's a multimedia thing to really look at where we are, look at what's happening, look at why it's happening, and then figure out what you're doing next. The first iteration, I think, was the one that I did way back. It was the first time it came to the UK. Oh, my God, it knocked my socks off. I mean, that particular approach, which is shocking. I mean, what's happening to our world is shocking. And it certainly broke me into smithereens and a lot of other people that were there. And most of us that really felt it have all changed our lives as a result, and, and a few of us almost immediately. But I think my perspective is changing on... So that when was that? That's got to be got to be almost 10 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. Climate change was received in one way back then. It's received in another way now. So even though we're seeing the devastating effects of it all around us, and it's just intensifying, it's like we are even more closed to the reality of it. I don't know what's going to have to happen until we wake up, but the shock and awe tactics, I think, are almost immobilizing people more now than motivating people. So I've kind of moved away from look at everything that's wrong and will you please change to focusing on what creates an opening and an energetic lift in people as opposed to a kind of a freezing and a shock response. So Tresis is very much looking at 
what's needed to support people into wanting to make changes as opposed to shocking them. But I have to say, for me, that was a major part of waking me up. Because one of the things that they say, which is quite brilliant, is everything has three prongs. And they look at the spiritual aspect, the environmental aspect, and the social justice aspect of life. And so having done the symposium and having my shock and grieving like mad for my planet, which was in such a mess, I was out hunting for something that I could do that would make sense of my gifts in relationship to those three specific elements. And that's when I found Project Greenhands in southern India, which is a reforestation program that arises out of an ashram. So it has the spiritual aspect very strongly, but it also has social justice because they were also looking at how do you get all sectors of society to um, pull together around the issue of the environment. And they were managing it. And that's a very split culture because of the caste system. So I kind of figured, well, if they're managing it and they've got castes that simply don't even acknowledge each other, then here we have the recipe for something quite beautiful. And can I take this recipe and bring it to the West? and see whether anybody would like to do something with it. Hadn't realized at that time that it was going to be me that was trying to do something with it. Just got as far as thinking, this is brilliant, we need to bring it. And so what they're doing is they're basically trying to bring their entire state, which is 68 million people, same size as England, population-wise, to reforest their state by 115 million trees within 10 years on a shoestring, basically, by getting everybody to start collecting tree seeds and actually start planting. And they do these extraordinary things like plant 900,000 in a day. In a day? In a day. They are so, so inspiring. And they make it feel possible. And it's very different over there, fair enough, because 12 of their major rivers have already dried up. They're already facing famine and starving. It's, It's happening. It's in their face. Whereas even though it's in our face, our infrastructure is such that even though we can be flooded out, we still get food in. Or even though it doesn't rain for God knows how long, we can still get food in. But in these places, when it dries out, they don't get food in. So, you know, it's, it's, I can understand why action happens faster when it's in your face. But nevertheless, the reality is, at some deep level in ourselves, we do know that change is upon us, inside and out, and that we are going to have to make some shifts in order to adapt certainly, but also to try and minimize the mess that we're walking into. Here in the States with California and its drought and Texas with its floods, such polar opposites happening, not all that far from each other, really, when you think about us globally. That's an entirely other conversation, I think, in terms of what we're starting to see happen with climate change or what continues to build with climate change. There were a couple of things I wanted to point out that you spoke of early on. And I love hearing your journey, and we're certainly going to hear more, where 10 years ago, where something took you and those pieces, such as the Pachamama Alliance Awakening the Dreamer Symposium, which I've attended, the awakening, the cold shower, as I like to call it, right? The thing that just shocks you shocks you awake in some ways. And it's interesting to note, too, that the Pachamama Alliance has also created their Game Changer Intensive, of which I've not only participated in, I've moderated a couple of their sessions for some of the smaller groups. And there is 
a lot more of what they call the grounded optimism, meaning that there is a positive focus without it seeming as if it has no basis in reality. There's the Pollyanna view, right, which just says, let's just play the glad game and be happy about everything. And then there's the grounded optimism that says we see so much work in the world, so much happening that gives us hope for humanity and humanity's ability to help Earth in this struggle to support us. This is the first time that we're facing catastrophes globally that have been created by humanity. Not all of them, of course, many of them. And it's probably the first time where we need to consciously step into the role of conscious evolutionaries in terms of the actions that we take to help support and to help make some of the transformational changes that are needed. And so I heard all of that in what you were saying. And uh, I think it's a beautiful context and a beautiful foundation for the conversation that we're going to have today about Mm -hmm. Tree Sisters and what that's all about. I'm curious if there's anything else before we start to get into the story of Tree Sisters and how it came about that you'd like my listeners to know about you. About me? Gosh, that's dangerous. It's all about you. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want people to know about me? Here's a couple of questions. What keeps you up at night? Oh, God. What stirs your soul? What makes your heart beat faster right now that my audience should know about? Oh, my God. Hmm. Okay. Pregnant pause coming, so be prepared while I think about this. Silence Hmm. is good when you're digging deep for something. I guess the edge that I'm walking personally at the moment that feels evolutionary within my own life is my spirituality is shifting. I've always considered myself a very spiritual person. That'll mean different things to lots of different people. I'm not religious. I have a deep belief in the profound wisdom of life, the profound wisdom of life, like the the creative capacity or the causal nature of reality and how, as human beings, we can mature to the stage where we can become conscious creators, not from a place of power over, but from a place of profound respect and humility before the wisdom of life. And one of the big journeys within Tree Sisters for me, I'll probably talk about the map later on, which is the framework that we use that has life at the center. And because it has life at the center, it means that everything that we do tries to refer back to life so that our work honors life but also creates more aliveness within us. And we are trying to plug into the wisdom of nature as a guidance system as opposed to dominate or control or perceive ourselves and our minds and everything that we've known thus far to be either accurate or worthwhile when actually what we've been taught essentially has helped us disconnect so completely that we can do what we're doing to our world. So we've been trying to really feel for how to create something that reverses that trend, both inside of our organization, but also within the work that we do, but in ourselves first, because if we can't do it, then there's no point trying to create something for anybody else. And so my real learning edge that I come back to time and time again is, am I able to plug in consciously to the intelligence of life that lives me in a way that 
can sort of elevate my consciousness. Oh, elevate's the wrong word. What's the right word? Plug me in in such a way that, that I can get out of the way. I can not automatically default back to operating from ego or what I think I know, but tune in to a much greater intelligence. Because all these teachings about, well, we are all one and blah, blah. Well, we are all one because I've had enough spiritual experiences to experience myself as being everything. And I, some of them have been what I would call contrived or at least I've gone through very strong processes in India where you've sort of forced yourself into unity consciousness and others have been entirely accidental where I have no idea what's happened but I've landed up in unity consciousness and in those moments I am the sky, I am the ocean, I am everything, I am all these people and so you just don't harm what is you, you know, you don't harm what you know yourself to be indivisible from but when you don't know yourself to be indivisible, when you feel yourself to be profoundly separate, you can do all these things. And so how to live in a way that strengthens the sense of indivisibility so that my actions, my new default, is reverence, humility, and following the energies of life that would direct me to live in ways that are harmonious, that's my edge. Because I'm so deeply programmed, like everybody else is, or most people are, to get up, go to the computer, start the work, feel like what progress actually is is how much i've got through my to-do list or feel like i'm doing better if i don't have a break and i just carry on working you know getting out of that mentality to there is a wisdom in my body that is the same wisdom that is breathing the trees and flying the birds and moving the oceans and that wisdom knows how to create balance that is an intelligence and a creation that isn't sitting there saying have i produced this it's a completely different, exquisite, natural, non-wasteful system. If I achieve one thing in this lifetime, I want to know that I can consciously plug in in such a way that I feel my indivisibility and my whole path is pointing in that direction. So there you go. Something about me you now know. Well, that was probably one of the most valuable silences <laughs> that we've ever experienced here on... <laughs> the voice of leadership. It was worth every moment of silence to have that answer. There was something that you said that impacted me so profoundly, and I want to repeat it because I want to make sure that my listeners really heard this. You said you don't harm what is you, and that was just such a profound statement, and it was a bridge to something else, and yet that in itself is so beautiful and says it all, I believe. You could put that statement out for anything that's happening in the world or anything that may be causing anxiety or separateness in the world and simply say, you don't harm what is you, and it would all make sense to me. So I, I wanted to make sure that I spent a moment with that. There's a quote on your website that says, it's a Chinese proverb, it says, when sleeping women wake, mountains will move. <laughs> Why are so many of us sleeping? Because we've been taught to sleep. <sighs> well, you know, you can have the Claire spin on that. I mean, the the true answer to that, who knows? But um, my view on that well, actually, let me give you one of these pauses again, just so that I actually 
don't just speak from what I know, but actually really what I think. Hang on a minute. Okay, yeah, I'm glad I paused. I'm going to give you a different answer to the one that would have come straight to mind. Okay, good. Okay, so let's just take as read that we've lived in a system of dominance for whatever reason. We can we can come back to that. But a system that, you know, whether it's scientific or religious or whatever, we have been separated from our energetic root, which is our planet, and, and basically told that that is um, progress, evolution. The more we use and abuse, you know, and create and consume, then the more advanced we essentially are. A few years ago, I was asked to come and create chaos at a conference which was happening at the same time as the COP15 thing was happening uh, with the Climate Change Summit. And uh, there, was a, there was something going on in Bristol, and I was asked to come in because it was too many PowerPoint slides, and would I come in and just wake everybody up? So I sat and thought about what could I actually do, and then asked if they were really serious, and they said yes. And I came in, and what I did is I got all these people to stand at one end of the room, and I said, right, it's 3,000 years ago, and this line that you're about to walk is the line of history. And I got several other people to go and stand and said, right, you're in the rainforest. You just stand over there and stay where you are because the rainforest endures. Meanwhile, the rest of us are going to walk this timeline. And we walked and we walked and we walked. And, you know, 3,000 years is a long time in that 10 minutes. And then the last tiny little bit of the room was, well, here's the scientific revolution, the medical revolution, the industrial revolution. They're all like jammed on top of each other in the last five minutes of time. And in that time, we went from being very susceptible to food shortages, very susceptible to diseases, very susceptible to freezing, or, you know, we did not have the comforts and the freedom and the security that we have now as a result of fossil fuels. And we starved a lot as a result. Our ancestors knew great deprivation and uncertainty and insecurity. And as we got to these revolutions, people had been walking along and everybody was like looking down and their shoulders were slumped and they looked depressed and they were all huddled. And these were businessmen in suits. It was the most amazing thing. And then all of a sudden we got to that point and people's heads started coming up and their faces started brightening. And as we walked into this last little phase where we have just developed so fast, there was this, oh my God, opportunity, freedom, potential, exploration, the brilliance that we have creatively has got the tools and the capacities to really expand. I'd never done this before, and I was watching, I was thinking, oh my God, look at that. Our blood, our DNA is encoded with generation after generation of a generation going as far back in time as you want to go with the insecurity based around what we then interpreted as nature dominating us you know, being at the effect of the great mother, or however you would say it, to suddenly finding a way to reverse it. And in that reversing, starting to feel powerful, starting to feel liberated. And most importantly, not being hungry anymore, knowing that we had power finally. And so if you had a line in front of you and 99% of it is disempowered and then 1% of it is empowered. That's kind of what we're looking at, I believe, in terms of our consciousness. And so it's like we've got a hangover. I feel like we've got a hangover from scarcity. And now we're suddenly just voraciously consuming. And we don't want to stop. We haven't remotely got out of our system or dealt with or processed millennia of lack. 
although you know we could look back romantically and say oh it was so abundant and so clean and we had so much more and all the rest of it because we hadn't chewed through it yet but actually at the basic level of survival which is the sort of ground of everything it was hard it was hard for a very 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 long time and our soul lineages our ancestral lineages processed or didn't process they survived that's what they did they survived in whatever degree and now we're thriving and we want to thrive we want to thrive on our terms because we finally got there and so at the end of that process i stood there and i said we have got to have some serious compassion for ourselves because we do not want to wake up to the implications of what we're doing we're not ready to say you know what i've had enough I can go back to some sort of a limited reality where I've got to think about what I consume or I've got to think about the impact of that. Now, we're still exalted on the on the fact that we can gather all these things from all around the world and just use them and make things. And we can have as much as we want and we can be as rich as we want. It's like we haven't got this out of our system yet. And we're not going to have time to get it out of our system. That's a shocking thing because we have such a finite planet and so many people. So that's one answer to the question. Another answer to the question is when people say, well, why women, Claire? Why women for tree sisters? If we're going to reforest the planet, we need everybody. And you're absolutely right, we need everybody. And when I was first given this project, I didn't want to do it because I thought it's not just women, it needs to be everybody. But part of the journey that has happened has been the dismissal of the feminine principle. And I'm not talking about women here, although I am indirectly because women have been persecuted as, as one of the ways in which we can suppress the feminine principle. But that quality of receptivity and intuition and deep connection and care has been squashed across the board in favor of productivity and execution and science and the doing creative aspect of the masculine principle. The feminine principle to me is all of our capacities to be deeply connected to all that is, not to just orient from the mind. Our mind is like a storage facility in a way of all the experiences that we've gone through and then an interpreter about what they mean which is very often not at all what they actually mean and then it tells us what is true based on our past experience but our heart has a different quality of wisdom and that heart wisdom is the capacity to connect and feel what is in this moment and that feeling capacity is the feminine principle in action to me and when you feel connected you care and when you care you protect And so as we have been systematically shamed away from our feeling nature as weak or as shameful, especially that's happened for men. I mean, women, at least we're allowed to cry or we're expected to, but it's not respected for what it is, you know. It takes a hell of a lot more courage to feel something fully than it does to suppress it. As we have been steered away from that side of our nature, we've been steered away from our capacity to connect. And we've been brought from our hearts and our bodies, which are indivisible from nature you know we are the earth that we've eaten we are the breath of the trees you know take the trees and the earth and the water away we don't exist it's like we are made of that but we like to think that somehow we're superior our capacity to connect from our body intelligence and our heart intelligence is the natural partner to our mind intelligence if the mind can then take what it gets from the body and the heart interpret it and act upon that we have a chance of living harmoniously. But we've been taught away from our bodies and our hearts into our heads, educated more and more into our heads, and now we're living in an increasingly technological world that keeps us in our heads. So the capacity for deep communion that is heart-based, that is connection-based, that enables us to fully feel our connection to each other, 
our connection to our own bodies as sources of wisdom, and then through our own bodies, the wisdom that is this natural world, we're just being taught away from it in so many different ways. And who knows whether we have the time to collectively, meaningfully come back into connection in any way that's going to make an impact on climate change. My way of dealing with the uncertainty of all of it is just thinking, well, I have no idea really what a human being is actually capable of because we use so little of our brain. We've been so pointed away from who and what we really are. And very often in times of crisis, it's that that pulls us together. And actually, I do feel like collectively our consciousness is rising. Who knows? what the trigger needs to be, what the impulse is going to be that could enable us. There's another quote, actually, that I love, which is, when a thousand goddesses gather, the divine feminine will come through their combined energies, will rebirth through their combined energies. And what I love about that quote is it suggests you can bring a large amount of people together and their combined energy can become a doorway for something greater than their individual selves. And to me, that's where we're going to have to go. We're going to have to go to a level of consciousness where we can bring through something that is greater than all of us to help us get out of the thing that we're in. Could we do it? Absolutely. We just don't know our own capacity. I hear in what you're saying something that I don't know that that has clicked for me before, and that's rather than the domestication of the feminine or the suppressing of the feminine, that it runs through our DNA in so many different ways. Because uh, we talk about Mother Earth. We talk about Earth as being feminine. And when you were talking about those businessmen or business people crossing across the 3,000 years of humanity's existence, what came up for me was that the feminine, which was the simpler, the oneness, the nurturing, was perceived as a scarcity. There was a lot of hardship built into that. I, mean, I think there's feminine energy on many different levels, and, and it has been suppressed in many different ways. And And yet, that was very telling to me, that where we are right now is like kids in the candy store. Yep. And we've got all this at our disposal. And if someone says, well, let's take that away, let's find a simpler way to live, the taking away feels like a loss to us. And I don't think anybody ever wants somebody to take something away. So it almost goes back, too, to that shift in perspective from the shocking someone awake with the horrors of the world versus the hope and the beauty that is available in the opportunity. Where's the opportunity in the feminine? It, it's not a loss. It's not a deficit or a scarcity. With that, I want to bridge us into what created Tree Sisters. And how did that all come about for you? There were two main things. One was a piece of ritual theater that I was part of at a workshop I think more or less around 2001, something like that. It was a dance workshop, a five rhythms dance workshop over about four or five days. And my little pod were asked to do some ritual theater. Well, we were all asked to do it, but ours was the rape of the earth. I got to play earth because as far as I was concerned, it was the least acting required. And um, I was dressed in everybody's clothes. So I was like enormous things sitting on a, on a throne. And I was handing out cups of tea. And basically, they were systematically running around me, just like pulling off my clothes, yanking at my hair, stripping me. 
And all the time they were, in effect, deforesting me, mining me, you know, whatever they were doing to me. I was just handing out cups of tea. And it was this symbolism of no matter what you do to this planet, she keeps providing. She keeps providing. And we just take her for granted. And then at this point where I was naked, apart from like a sock and a scarf or something, I screamed this blood-curdling scream and I hurled myself on the floor and I lay there and, and it was done. And in the actual theater, what was happening was the my little pod had this sort of wake-up moment. Oh, my God, you know, look what we've done. Let's put her back on her throne. Let's do a little dance. Let's put all the clothes back on again and let's show that we've had a breakthrough and everything's fine. But I was lying on the floor in complete shock. I had this nursery rhyme running through my brain. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And I could feel myself just dropping into this, oh my God, Even every time I talk about this story, it still gets me. It's like, I was horrified. It suddenly landed what we were doing, and it suddenly landed that you don't get to put Humpty back together again. There is no therapy for a planet that's going wild. There is no place that you put her to put her back into balance. When she goes out of balance, she's, she's gone out of balance. I had all these flashes like when you're in a plane and it's massively turbulent, you know, eventually it's going to land. Or if you're on a horse and it goes bonkers, at least it stops. Or if you're in the car with somebody and they're driving too fast, you can get them to stop. But we don't get to get off. We don't get a second chance. And when they put me back on my seat and I sort of looked up at everybody, the room was crying and I had just gone cold to the core absolutely just cold and so we sat and did some more ritual theater watched some of the others and then we had this present giving ceremony and um everybody had been asked to bring a little something or other and not name it and we all handed them out and i was given this book called you can change the world and it had a cloud on the front it was a blue sky and a cloud and for years before that i'd been having dreams that there were no more clouds i'd been having premonitions of, of climate change for years and I, I was a cloudaholic. I was obsessed with them because I knew that there would be a point where I didn't see them anymore. I saw this cloud and I saw, and I just started crying and crying. And it was like howling. I sort of had to leave the room and go outside. And I, I, I was, you know, part of me is sort of watching from the outside going, wow, you know, she's completely lost it. And on the inside, I was in this experience of, I can no longer live in a way in which my smallness dictates the lack of what I do. As in, my smallness being what I call the arrogance of my low self-esteem. You know, I'm not good enough to contribute. I can't bring anything forward. What I do will never be enough. Like all these stories that had kept me limited in doing what I did, which was so safe and what I knew how to do, I couldn't bear to branch out because all my personal stories were just too strong. But in that moment, it was like life broke me open and just said, are you going to spend the rest of your life doing something that isn't contributing to the change that needs to happen? And it was like, no, I knew. I knew fine well that I was going to, something had to break. Something had to give and I had to change my whole life. And um, it, it almost feels like the same story again of taking that journey where in order to change something in the world that changing your own life meant giving up something and i think because i think there's a lot of people who say well i can't do that you know i'm just one person i don't know what to do or the powers that be are bigger than i am that's just the way it is and there is a fear in us that making that change means that 
you will never be the same again. No, and and I think something. that's actually true. You will never be the same again. But, and, but we see it as a scarcity. But And also, if we have to change, we could get it wrong. You know, we could get it wrong. Oh, yeah, well, there's always that, yes. And if we get it, you know, not knowing is also absolutely terrifying. And certainly that was for me. It was the case for me. So anyway, fast forward, I don't know how many years, not many. I'd had that experience. I'd had the Pachamama experience. I'd gone out to India. I'd found Project Green Hands. I had decoded Project Green Hands down to a seven-point strategy for how you do mass mobilization. And I had a car crash. I crashed into a tree, skidding on ice, and as I hit the tree, there was a blinding flash of white light, and two words came up in front of me, right inside the car, the experiment. And when I asked, what is the experiment, back came, humanity is running out of time. And this was a, this was literally, there was a voice in the car, a loud male voice in the car. Humanity is running out of time, but it's not over yet but it's going to take all of you rising to the challenge to get through what's coming. The greatest threat facing humanity is fear of failure. But you can get over fear of failure by calling everything that you do an experiment because you cannot fail an experiment. You can only learn. So I said, what's the experiment? And back came, you have to reforest the tropics within 10 years. At which point I had a life flashing before my eyes moment. didn't have it when I crashed into the tree. I had it when I got given the job because... I suddenly sort of in my whole body knew what it was asking of me and whether that means this has always been inside me trying to come out. You know, I, have, I can't ever really say what happened in that moment except for the fact I got my, got, my, got my orders. Whether they were always in me, I don't know, but they arrived. And I knew that the Claire that I was then wasn't capable of doing what I was doing and that life in effect was saying, are you ready to move beyond your limited perception of yourself? Are you ready to drop the stories that you have hidden inside of to discover what you're actually capable of? And my answer was no. No, sorry. That's too much. That's too big. You've got the wrong person. Anyway, I marched up the road carrying pieces of car, and as I was walking up, the voice just continued, and it gave me three projects, the first of which was Tree Sisters. And it literally said... Women are the missing piece. Feminine consciousness is the consciousness of living systems. Women are the womb carriers. Earth is womb. Women's wombs are naturally tied in to the seasons. You understand about birth and death. You understand about life. You understand about ebb and flow. You understand about how land needs to lie fallow. You understand how not to just keep pushing all the time. And all the time I was listening to this and I was going, yep, yep, yep. Totally agree. I, I can go along with that. And then it was like you need to make it normal for everybody to start to give back rather than taking all the time, which, yeah, that totally makes sense as well. You need to do it through trees. You need to create a crowdfunding campaign. The name of it is Tree Sisters, blah, blah, blah. And it was literally, I, I could have sat there with a piece of paper and just taken notes. The whole thing was just given like verbatim, word for word. And then there was another project and then another project. So this was no small day in my life. I got home and I picked up the phone and I rang my partner and I said, like, I'm terribly sorry, I've crashed your car. And he was like, oh, my God, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, well, why are you crying? And I was like, because I've been given a job and I don't want this. <laughs> and he said, what is it? I said, I've got to reforest the tropics within 10 years. And there was this silence at the end of the phone. And then he said, well, somebody's got to do it. 
he was incredibly supportive. I did nothing for nine months. I, I went into an acute depression for nine months. It was like life shines a bright light. It shows up all the shadows. I just fell into my insecurities and all the reasons why I could never possibly do such a thing with that sort of backed up against my deep, deep desire to do something meaningful and my knowledge because of all the environmental education I'd have that I had to do something, but I just didn't want to do all the things that I didn't know how to do. You know, I didn't know how to create a charity. I didn't know how to do social media. I didn't know how to do accounting, run a team, any of it. It It's like, oh my God, you're asking me to become someone else. And then I tried various other things. I tried to do versions on a theme, all of them with men, because I was also very afraid of doing something just for women because I didn't want to put men's noses out of joint. You know, I didn't want to... I had all my own very normal issues, sadly, for women, of not wanting to shine as a woman for fear of what that engenders because my upbringing was such that I'd learned very clearly, do not shine, it's not safe. So I tried everything to not do Tree Sisters to do the tree part but not the sister part and then after about nine months of repeatedly feeling as if the world pulled the rug out from underneath my feet I said yes and the voice came back and I said you know what is a tree sister and it said it's a a woman who makes five choices to be considerate encouraging of her sisters intimate with life responsible for its health and courageous with her gift And I was like, wow, that's five things. So I drew a five-pointed star, and I said, where do they belong? And if you think of a five-pointed star as a human being with their arms and legs out, consideration sat in the head, our capacity to see things as they are or witness truth, encouragement in the left arm, which is like the in-breath of the heart, our need for each other, relationship, intimacy in the left foot, the in-breath of the body, our capacity to feel our indivisibility from nature, responsibility in the right foot, our ability to respond from what we feel, so that the active comes after the receptive, and then courage in the right arm, our heart's desire to give our gifts and to serve, and life sat in the middle. And it took me a while to understand what we had, but I started putting five cushions out on the floor and sitting in it and grabbing people together and all of us sitting in it and started to realize we had an archetypal flow of energy the same as in five-element acupuncture, that there was a logic to it and the logic actually showed that the left side of the map was the feminine principle, the right side of the map was the masculine principle and that the order was feminine first because unless your heart was active and your body was open and you could feel how things actually were from a connected place to each other and to planet, how could you know what to do? And in a world where the feminine principle had been dismissed, the heart was dismissed and the body was dismissed, it's like standing on one leg and expecting to stay balanced. If we can't feel, then our doing has no logic to it in relationship to living systems. And so finally I understood the why women, because the women are actually more naturally wired to the heart and to the body, because we're the caretakers effect of the next generations at the bodily level, the creatress level. And so in that moment I said, okay, I will definitely do it. I, you know, I had a long way to go in my own journey around understanding what it meant to be a woman, understanding our own wiring, understanding what our different capacities are, and to get over all my own fears of what it meant to ask women to step forward in leadership, and not just leadership, but nature-based leadership, the very thing that has been taken away from us, how to tap back into our deeper 
feminine nature and bring forward the very thing that has been shamed and attacked through religion and God knows what else for millennia. So it's no small thing. But no. That is, but that is what... <laughs> and interesting that it took nine months to drop the fear and say yes. It's just a very interesting yep, amount of time. period. <laughs> yes, the gestation period for humans. And the... Um, and then I had a baby. I know so many individuals who want to do work in the world, and they spend this time trying to come up with ideas, trying to make something happen, as opposed to the let come that I'm hearing from you, because this was, well, at first, uh, just a very invasive voice who just said, hey, here I am, and here's what you're going to do. And not a whole lot of permission I'm hearing, just really, here's, here, here it is, I'm giving it to you. Well, and I there guess are many, I could have, you know, I could have just said no. I did say no for a long time. Well, you did say no for a while, yes, right? You said no, and it, it apparently, though, it stayed with you. It was something that was still there. It needed that time to gestate and percolate. When you stepped into it and said yes, the voice began again and gave you such an incredible foundation yeah. in which to work yeah. with the five-pointed star. And hopefully when this airs, we'll, we'll see if we can't maybe share that in the slide share, not the dreaded PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> but a slide share so that as you're speaking, the listeners can even see that or maybe even get a chance to draw one themselves. It's on our website. It's on our homepage on the on the right-hand side. It's just called... Would you share yeah. that? Would, what, where would they go to find that? So they the may be able to go on and listening. org, And then um, sort of to the bottom right of the homepage, You'll see a map, which looks like a five-pointed star. And similarly, if you go to our What Can I Do page on the website, there's a much simplified version of the map. On the home page, that one, if you scroll down, there's also a shadow map. So that was the other thing that has been emerging, shall we say. And that's one of the core things about, to me, operating out of nature's principles and out of the feminine principle, is, is you listen and you follow, and you allow what's emerging. Like you wait for life to bring it to you very difficult muscle to grow in this world of ours which basically demands that you come up with it now and you can prove where it's come from sort of working with the mystery is like oh my goodness that's been a learning curve and will probably continue to be a learning curve for the rest of my life but the shadow map is fascinating as well because it calls up what is in the way of each of those five capacities operating at their fullness and you said at the beginning you know what's in the way of us being connected and operating like this the shadow map just look at the shadow map and you'll go oh yes you know every aspect of that is in all of us to some degree or another and that is what we are needing to transform but our systems our current world systems hold that in place and so we basically need new systems you know we need a whole systems change but again we don't like change and that's going to mean big experimentation and you could get that wrong my team kept saying to me every time I panicked and said, I don't know what to do. They kept saying, Claire, it's an experiment. You can't fail. You can only learn. When we can hold on to life as an experiment that's been given to us to really discover what our capacities are rather than can't possibly experiment because I might get it wrong and what will people think. Once we can get away from that, the sky's the limit, really. Absolutely. You talked about what it means to be a woman or not necessarily even knowing what it means. Uh, to be feminine, to be a woman. You've also talked about nature-based leadership and introduced both of those enough to raise 
my curiosity. Mm-hmm. I want to open this part up from where we sit now and everything we've talked about. Where do you want to go with this? What would be the next step in this arc for you if you were going to give the listeners a better idea or even expand their understanding of what Tree Sisters is about? Well, I'll go into one of the more edgy sides of Tree Sisters just briefly, just because this was one of the instructions that I got in the crash that I didn't understand. You know, when I'm just going to call it life because I don't know who it was that was talking to me, but let's just call it life. When life said, women are the womb carriers, you're woven into the life cycles. You understand the cycles of birth and death, the ebb and flow. A couple of months after that, a friend of mine said that there was a woman called Alexandra Pope who was coming to my town and she taught on menstruality and I kind of thought, well, I should probably go because the only relationship I've ever really had with menstruality is, oh God, what a pain, here it is again. And I know there's more to it than that and life had just told me in the crash that there was more to it than that but I didn't understand it so I went to this workshop with the woman who was, I think, one of the founders of the what I would call reawakening of the feminine mystery teachings. And she started teaching us about the seasons within the month of the menstrual cycle. So if you think about the solar year, winter, spring, summer, autumn, what I hadn't any knowledge of was what she taught, which was that flow of the seasons happens inside a woman's body every month. And that the bleed is winter, it's where everything falls away, where if we were operating according to our body's wisdoms, we would be deeply resting and going into the dreaming. And spring is the pre-ovulatory phase where everything is starting. You know, in effect, the tide is coming back in again energetically in a woman's body. And summer is a time of ovulation or full moon when the tide is at its highest, when we have our great creator's potential. And then if we don't conceive, then we start to flow into the premenstrual phase where the tide starts to go back out, our energy starts to drop. And what I hadn't appreciated was that our energetic capacities, our psychological capacities, our creative capacities wax and wane through the month so that for women there simply are better times than others to do different things. Our capacities are cyclical that when you learn how to tune in and listen to your womb in a in the way that we're used to listening to our minds and we'd like to be used to listening to our hearts, we have an entirely different intelligence which is life-based and literally plugged in to the cosmos sitting in our wombs. And we've been taught away from it. You know, We've been shamed away from it because there is no more powerful center to a woman than her womb. So, you know, to even talk about menstruality is to make most women just walk away, you know, or just look completely shocked. How could you bring something up like that? I start to think, well, my God, if women could reclaim their cycle and stop living a linear existence where we are just forced right over the top of our energetic rhythm, which is exactly what we're doing to the planet, we're doing it to nature, we're doing it to our own bodies, and it's considered normal and worse than that women who are trying to get into compete like crazy to be with the men it's becoming the best thing for women to do to suppress their bodies to become linear to just to override and actually the deeper i've gone into this and we've gone deeply enough into it to actually be offering a course an online course called earthing the moon which was an outrageous success early this year knocked all of our socks off we've gone deeply enough into it to be saying right 
feminine nature-based leadership, what is that? Nature-based leadership is when we are plugged into our true nature. That requires us to actually understand, almost as an animal, what we are, like what we're wired for. We are wired completely differently to men, completely differently, hormonally completely differently. We have different functions. Just in the same way that the tree sisters map, the feminine on one side and the masculine on the other, the two naturally complement each other. We're not supposed to be the same. You know, there is nothing better about one and worse than the other. We are exquisitely different so that we can fulfill on different functions. And what the map shows, which is so outrageous in our world, is that the feminine principle is the root of life and the masculine principle in relationship to that understands his role to know what to do. But the feminine comes first. So how do you get the feminine to come first? Well, first of all, I think a large part of it is women need to remember what it means to be women and we need to reclaim our wombs. We need to reclaim our capacities to even begin to understand how to listen to our own bodies because if we can't learn how to listen to our own bodies and the seasons that exist within us, how are we going to ever create systems where we listen to the seasons that are outside of us? And if we keep driving over the top of our seasons in a linear fashion, which is what we're doing, then we'll be very surprised, you know, when all the fish run out because we're not giving them any time to restock, when the trees go because they're not getting time to regrow, when all the fossil fuels are gone because we're just burning our way through everything, and when the water is gone because we're not acknowledging the time that it takes for the aquifers to refill. We're just taking, taking, taking because we can. I am so passionate about this side of Tree Sisters where we are really looking at feminine nature and what it means to reclaim that for ourselves because psychologically, consciously, we're deeply afraid of it. A lot of us are deeply afraid of it. We don't get past the sort of, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that, to get below that to the deeper ancestrally held shaming. I mean, if you think about it, every one of us that is alive in the European countries are the descendants of those that survived the witch burnings. So we're the ones that watched while the women who were free-thinking nature-based midwives or herbalists or whatever they were doing that was connected were put to death in the most hideous ways. We learned to survive as you don't do all of that. And now we're saying, right, okay, in the crash, women are the missing piece. Women are the womb carriers. You're the ones who deeply understand living systems in your bodies. Okay, so how would it be if women en masse could support each other to start to tap back into the deeper feminine side of our natures, our capacities to tune into nature, our capacities to be deeply intuitive, to lead from our hearts, not in the over-emotional way that we're so judged for, but from the deep place of actual heart wisdom that is always oriented towards community, to the collective, to caretaking, to making sure that we're all all right that part of us, if that side of feminine nature could get a look-in in systems creation, where a system isn't created unless we know that it benefits life as well, where the community is served and not at the expense of that community over there because we feel our indivisibility from them, so we will not hurt them. You know, That's the sort of feminine leadership that I'm looking at. And that is why Tree Sisters is the tree with a twin root or a twin trunk, women and trees. On the left-hand side of the map, it is, can we create courses, transformational courses, which bring a completely different experience of feminine capacities to women who would not usually have any idea that even this, this stuff was even out there? 
Can we reach women through the gateway of their femininity, through the side of life that actually is really rising? You know, we may be freezing, the wrong word to use, but ironic word, we may be freezing in relationship to climate change, but the feminine is rising and most of us can feel it. Can we reach women through the doorway of their femininity and then draw them towards ecology? So one side of Tree Sisters is about feminine empowerment, education, through courses that are taught in a feminine way. So they're body-based, they're movement-based, they're poetry-based, they're beautiful, they're intimate, they're nourishing, so that we can start to fill up again, become connected enough and resourced enough by each other's company, by soulful conversation, by communion at the level that we long for, by something that's meaningful and personal, and of ourselves, where we get to celebrate what it means to be a woman and not compete inside of it, but actually acknowledge each other and call forth the parts of ourselves that we want to be living from. And then draw that towards this overarching mission of Tree Sisters, which is how do you build a global network of women to collectively make it normal for all of us to give back? How do we help it feel normal to start to give back, not just to take all the time, start ourselves and then spread it out? So that the course side, we're creating courses, we're creating tools, we're creating resources. A lot of them are free. The courses are not free because we are trying to earn our core cost as a charity by delivering part of our mission, although every course that you take will plant a significant number of trees as well. So when you take a course, you're not just serving yourself and giving yourself a gift. You're helping to build a charity and you're planting trees. Then on the other side, when you make a donation to Tree Sisters, you're also planting trees. And the tree side of it is in development because we basically have crowdfunded this entire initiative from scratch without any capital. So the tree side, at the moment, we've just planted 15,000 fast-growing dry tropical evergreen and fruit trees in southern India. We've just funded another 3,000. We're about to fund another 5,000, I think. What we're going to do this year, maybe this year, I'm hoping it's going to be this year, but time has its own way of running far too fast. We are in the process of developing what will be several new partnerships. So at the moment, Project Greenhands is our beneficiary partner. If you go to our website and click on the blog and then look down the right-hand side to the reforestation tab, you will find three blogs that outline our whole reforestation strategy in terms of why, what sort of projects, how we'll do it, etc. Now we are just engaging with an amazing charity in London. I won't give you their names just yet, but when it happens, this is okay. going to be amazing. To basically become our primary reforestation partner, They're a, they are absolutely exemplary in the in the realm of due diligence monitoring and reporting so that we can ensure that we choose absolutely exemplary projects through which to channel people's money and build a portfolio of projects so we'll have four or five projects then what we will do is once or twice a year we will hold tree campaign months where 100 percent of what you give goes to the trees so currently any tree charity that you are with a proportion of the money that you donate is always going to go to cover core costs of the organization. When we do our tree months, 100% is going to go directly to the beneficiary projects. And so if you think about, let's say, 10,000 women giving 15,000, 15,000, gosh, wouldn't that be nice? 10,000 women giving $15 a month, that equates to 1.2 million trees in a year. If we can pull in just 1,000 of those donors 
or 2,000 of those donors over a month, which should be infinitely possible. We could be up to between 10 and 30,000 a month going out just towards trees. And what we will do is we will say, okay, the first 5,000 goes to this project, second 5,000 goes to this project, so that when we get to 25,000 a month coming in, there'll be five projects getting 5,000 a month, which may not sound like a lot, but for a lot of these tropical initiatives in the developing world, 60,000 a year, which is what that would be, is a lot of money. And then we could keep building that. So there is line of sight now because in this particular year, we're launching this whole educational site. So you can find our courses are also on the homepage of the website or the link to it, the actual page for it is in the blog, but you'll find it easy enough to go there. Where the woman side and the tree side of Tree Sisters, they're both lining up and hopefully by the end of this year we will have our new website which we'll be doing a kickstarter for um, in the next few months and finally with all of the testing that's done and our huge network we've got over 56,000 followers now we will that's be amazing it's that's amazing wonderful. But, it's, but it's wanted you know this is really wanted and the only thing that's been holding us back is lack of infrastructure hmm. and lack of money because i did this experiment and the experiment was, if I stand there and I say, look, this is my idea, will you come? Will you come? And they came. But what happened was, it was like standing on the beach with a sail, and then suddenly we shot out to sea on a plank of wood with a sail. It's like, oh my God, everybody says, yes, let's do it, but I hadn't built the infrastructure. So we've been building the infrastructure while at sea, and building a boat at sea is a very difficult thing to do. To me, it's the feminine way. The feminine way is to do it together. So we've been learning whilst creating it's been slower but we've been learning as we go and it's not the old model of right we're going to perfect this in the background and then come out and here it is already because it wouldn't have been a co-creation i love how you are acting within that power of the feminine creating the models even if you're building the boat as you're at sea you are showing women how it is done from the feminine perspective rather than saying to them, well, I want you to adopt the feminine perspective and we're going to go about this in a very masculine way of doing. I think there is a great deal of care and for the co-activity that comes with that because for most of us, that's very uncharted territory to proceed in a business, whether it's crowdfunding or otherwise, to proceed from a co-active feminine way to create. And more and more businesses I'm learning are beginning to say, well, this is what we teach. We need to operate the same way as what we're teaching. Otherwise, where's the model? Where's the integrity? And to me, that's my bottom line. I've been given this thing to do, which we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen, but what I'm really curious about is the journey. What I know is that to reach through the level of denial and fear that's going on, something has to ring like pure crystal. It's got to be a high-frequency bird call. It's got to reach through to the part of people that absolutely knows truth when it sniffs it. And so we are going to have to, and are doing so, creating something that has to be deeply in integrity with itself. Because to me, you only get that high-frequency bird call when something has such integrity. Which means we can't ask people to do something that we're not doing. And we can't operate outside of living systems if we're trying to create something that is supposed to support us back into relationship with living systems. And we can't blather on about the feminine if we're not going to actually operate in a way that is honoring that. And it hasn't been easy. You know, it's been 
It's been fairly excruciating, in all honesty, because, you know, the flow of consciousness is not that. And so when you try and do something that is in opposition to the flow of consciousness, especially that has a lot of fear attached to it, as it does when it's about celebrating women, you come up against everything that is telling you why not to do that. But it's got to the stage where it has become so beautiful and so revitalizing. And I can now say for myself that Operating Tree Sisters has brought me into living systems, is educating me about what it means to be a woman, has brought me into a sisterhood that is so beautiful. I don't know how I survived without it in the first place. I now can hand on my heart, look back at this last four years and just say, through every difficulty, I am so grateful for this opportunity, for this creation that was given to me that is emerging. You know, it's exquisite and it feels that way because it is of our true nature. It's not trying to sell you something. It's trying to say, can you remember who you really are? And when you touch into that, can you feel how thrilling it is to feel more life force passing through your body? And when you Mm -hmm. tune into what's around you and you start to respond appropriately, can you feel how much more alive you feel and how much more meaning there is? It's like, oh my God, we need that. We so need that. And you want to do it together with other women who actually help you remember what it means to be in true sisterhood, who are willing to make themselves vulnerable and explore all these things that you know have been taken away from us and that is totally in our hands to reclaim. God, it's so meaningful. It's so meaningful. And I so want this for other women because I know my journey of being so stuck and, and afraid and fearful is so common. For years, I've been saying, when when will we remember who we really are? And for me, I read a book called The Mists of Avalon. Oh my and God, I love that book. Do you love that book? I, you know, I gave it away to somebody to read. I never got it back. I had to go buy myself another copy. That book awakened me. That was when I began to say, when will we remember who we really yep. are? Uh, exactly the same book. Exactly the same book for me. I thought I read that book and thought, oh my God. What does it mean to be a woman like that? That yes. that was something yes. that I got my first sniff of it. Wow, oh my so goodness, that's amazing. It was it was a powerful book for me. Oh. And and so I love when I hear you say uh, what will it take when will we remember who we really are because that that says to me uh, how grateful I am that I found you and I found Tree Sisters. And I'm hoping that my listeners will go to the website and take a look as well. And I just want to give that to them one more time, if you would. It is treesisters.org. If anything that I have said has spoken to you, then please go to our join-in page and join in. You do not get bombarded. Once a month, you'll get an update about what we're doing, courses that we're running, tools that we're giving, trees that we're planting invitations to things like our full moon call and our new moon call. So every full moon, we meditate together globally. You can get on. We do some sort of a practice that is either seasonally based or based around the map. It's all free. Every new moon, we do either an interview or do something interactive with the network where you get to contribute your ideas. You know, All of these things will be in the newsletters. But if you join in, then you'll get invitations to everything. And also subscribe to the blog. The blog is basically the beating heart where all of our experiences, where our network get to share what's going on for them, the tree news, the course news, anything else that we're bringing out that is unusual, that is where you'll be able to keep your finger on the pulse. I deeply invite you 
to become a tree sister, to bring this into your life, to be part of the unfolding experiment. There will be so many opportunities for you to get involved, to bring yourselves. Find us on Facebook. It's a very, very beautiful page if you're a Facebook-type person. It is. I can attest to that. It is a beautiful page. It's a beautiful page. And, but also the talking tree, the Tree Sisters Talking Tree, that is the forum inside of Tree Sisters where basically everybody gets to talk to each other and you get to share whatever's going on for you. It's, so that's, it's not a private Facebook page. You get to join in there. And again, I am in major fundraising mode. So at this point, I am trying to find some wonderful women out there who would actually like to step in as what we call our roots, our larger donors, to help us get through this particular year while we are in transition implementing all of our educational courses to raise our core costs for next year. Just reach me at Claire without an eye at treesisters.org. And Linda, thank you so much for this opportunity. I do hope that there has been something of worthwhileness and nurturance for all of you that have taken the time to listen. And thank you so very much. You are so very welcome. And thank you, Claire. Thank you for being my guest, for the work you do in the world, for women and for the planet. Thank you for Tree Sisters and the opportunity for so many of us to belong and share, not only in the learning, but in the renourishment and the giving that we can to Earth and supporting and protecting her. And I want to thank my listeners for supporting this radio program, as well as leaders who are creating positive, sustainable change in the world. Find out more at thevoiceofleadership.com or on Facebook at The Voice of Leadership, where you can like us there. You can add comments about our programs. You can post questions. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can reach me at Linda at thevoiceofleadership.com. Until next week, good night, everyone. Good night, Claire. Good night, Linda.